There's a little matter, Dan, that I've been wanting to speak to you about when we got a chance of a private talk. He glanced a little anxiously at his stolid companion, who grunted and then, without removing his gaze from the horizon ahead, replied, You're a pretty fair chance now, seeing that we shall be bottled up together for another five or six hours, and it's private enough unless you bawl loud enough to be heard at the longships. It was not a gracious invitation, but that Varney had hardly expected, and if he resented the rebuff he showed no signs of annoyance, for reasons which appeared when he opened his subject. What I wanted to say, he resumed, was this. We're both doing pretty well now on the square. You must be positively piling up the shekels, and I can earn a decent living, which is all I want. Why shouldn't we drop this flash note business? Purcell kept his blue eye fixed on the horizon and appeared to ignore the question. But after an interval, and without moving a muscle, he said gruffly, Go on, and Varney continued. The lay isn't what it was, you know. At first it was all plain sailing. The notes were first-class copies and not a soul suspected anything until they were presented at the bank. Then the murder was out, and the next little trip that I made was a very different affair. Two or three of the notes were suspected quite soon after I had changed them, and I had to be precious fly, I can tell you, to avoid complications. And now that the second batch has come into the bank, the planting of fresh specimens is no sinecure. There isn't a money changer on the continent of Europe that isn't keeping his weather eyeball peeled, to say nothing of the detectives that the bank people have sent abroad. He paused and looked appealingly at his companion, but Purcell, still minding his helm, only growled, Well? Well, I want to chuck it, Dan. When you had a run of luck and pocketed your winnings, it's the time to stop play. You've come into some money then, I take it, said Purcell. No, I haven't. But I can make a living now by safe and respectable means, and I'm sick of all this scheming and dodging with the jail everlastingly under my lee. The reason I asked, said Purcell, is that there is a trifle outstanding. You hadn't forgotten that, I suppose. No, I hadn't forgotten it, but I thought that perhaps you might be willing to let me down a bit easily. The other man pursed up his thick lips, but continued to gaze stonily over the bow. Oh, that's what you thought, eh? he said, and then, after a pause, he continued, I fancy you must have lost sight of some of the facts when you thought that. Let me just remind you how the case stands. To begin with, you start your career with a little playful forgery and embezzlement, you blew the proceeds, and you are mug enough to be found out. Then I come in. I compound the affair with old Marston for a couple of thousand, and practically clean myself out of every penny I possess, and he consents to regard your temporary absence in the light of a holiday. Now why do I do this? Am I a philanthropist? Devil a bit. I'm a man of business. Before I ladle out that two thousand, I make a business contract with you. I happen to possess the means of making, and the skill to make, a passable imitation of the Bank of England paper. 
You are a skilled engraver and a plausible scamp. I am to supply you with paper blanks. You are to engrave plates, print the notes, and get them changed. I am to take two-thirds of the proceeds, and although I have done the most difficult part of the work, I agree to regard my share of the profits as constituting repayment of the loan. Our contract amounts to this. I lend you two thousand without security, with an infernal amount of insecurity, in fact. You promise, covenant, and agree, as the lawyers say, to hand me back ten thousand in instalments, being the products of our joint industry.' 